Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. See if you recognize these words. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to go where you can know the troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Anybody recognize those words? Yeah, several of you. I would sing them for you, but you're probably much better off having me not sing them this morning. Those are the words to the theme song for Cheers, an old, an old TV sitcom about a bar in Boston. And the implication in this song is that when you, when you want to feel loved, that, you want to, that when, you, when you want to get away from the pressures of life, just come on down to the bar where people love you and accept you as you are. Come to the bar where people stand by each other and help each other through their troubles. And I wonder sometimes, do people view the church the same way? Is the church a place where people can come and be accepted, loved just as they are? Is the church a place where we can stand by one another and and help each other through our troubles? Is that what the church is about? I wonder sometimes if places like the bar are filling a role in people's lives that the church ought to be filling, but maybe isn't. Would people go to places like bars if they thought they could find love and acceptance in the church? Imagine with me for a moment a time when you really needed someone to show you love. Maybe you were hurting or emotionally empty or or just really longed for someone to affirm you and and love you in some tangible way, a kind word, a, a hug, or help with a chore, or something along those lines, and it didn't happen. How did you feel? Maybe you can recall the loneliness, the discouragement, the frustration of that time. Now think of a time when you felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to show love to someone else in a tangible way, and didn't do it. Maybe you were busy, or maybe it was inconvenient, or, or it would have cost you some money, or, or time, or involved spending energy that, that you just weren't willing to give. It's to, it's, to, it's to situations like these that Paul includes this entire chapter in his letter to the Corinthians. He wants them and us to know and understand that love is a personal activity not an abstract quality. What do I mean by that? Well, if everyone in the world who talks about love were actually living love, the world would be a vastly different place, don't you think? But let's bring it closer to home because we're not talking about the whole world right now. We're talking about you and me right here. If each of us in this sanctuary today who talk about love we're actually living and practicing love consistently, our town, our community would be a much better place as well, don't you think? Today is the, uh, the last message in a three-part series on this chapter. 
This chapter is a hymn of love. In, uh, in previous weeks, we've talked about the fact that love is what makes our gifts profitable, and love is what makes our relationships beautiful. And the main point that we see in this third stanza of this great hymn about love is simply this, love is what makes our contributions eternal. Look with me again at these verses, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. I I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, as I've said before, the Corinthian church was a gifted church, but they were a divided church. Some in the congregation at Corinth apparently considered themselves and their gifts greater than others. Their spiritual gifts superior to those of others among them in the congregation there. So there was strife and quarreling among the members of the church. Paul says to them in chapter 3 of this book, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. And he points out to them that their behavior has been immature and unspiritual. They were acting like babies. Basically, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, you need to grow up. You need to mature in your faith and in your walk with Christ. And here in chapters 12 to 14, he's trying to help them come to maturity on this matter of spiritual gifts. He reminds them in chapter 12, verse 7, that to each the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Your gifts aren't for your benefit or for your glory. They're given to you in order to help you bless others. And now here in chapter 13, Paul is showing them that love is the most excellent way. Love is the best measure of Christian maturity. Part of life for many of us involves wearing glasses. One day a young boy was talking to his friend and asked, wouldn't you hate to wear glasses all the time? And his friend said, no, not if I had some like grandma's. She always sees when people are tired and sad, and and she knows just what to do to make them feel better. And one day I asked her how she could see that way all the time, and she told me it was the way she learned to look at things as she grew older. And the first young boy thought for a moment and then said, yeah, I guess you're right. It must be in her glasses. Being a mature Christian means being able to view life and our spiritual gifts through the lens of love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13, that only those things done in love will ultimately stand the test of time and eternity because love never ends. All the other gifts and abilities will will cease. They will fade away. They will come to an end because they're partial and limited in nature, as verses 8 and 9 tell us. When Christ comes for his church... Such gifts will no longer be necessary. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
The purpose of prophecy is to is to help us see who God is and what he is doing. It is foretelling the word of God. But Jesus Christ is the word of God incarnate. And when he comes back for his church, we won't need the word of God expounded for us. We'll be in the very presence of the living word. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. The gift of tongues was given to break down the language barriers uh, between people groups so that the gospel could be effectively communicated to every nation and people group under heaven. But when Jesus comes, he'll remove the language barriers. We'll all be able to communicate with each other and there won't be a need for the gift of tongues. There are some who believe in a prayer language, a, a heavenly language given to people for their own edification and intimacy with God. If this is the case, that too will cease because we'll be in the very presence of God and won't need a special prayer language as such. Most importantly, tongues seem to have been given as an evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in a given place and situation. Not the evidence, unevidence. Tongues aren't a necessary indicator of the Spirit, but in those times and places uh, where the, the genuine gift of tongues has been practiced, it, it has been evidence of the Spirit at work. When God comes for his people, there will be no reason for the gift of tongues. We will be in the very presence of God himself. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. When Christ comes, any insider wisdom we may have been given for the purpose of knowing him or making him known to others will be rendered obsolete. He is the one to whom all knowledge ultimately points. And our knowledge of him will no longer be necessary because we'll be with him and see him as he is. Basically, Paul is saying that all of these gifts, all of these things that the Corinthians uh, thought made them so important and that we tend to think make us important are given to us for the purpose of helping us and others know and understand who God is, to know and understand God better. But when Christ comes and we are in the very presence of God, those things will no longer be necessary. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The gifts of the Spirit will end. Someday we won't need them anymore. We'll still have faith and hope, but they too will change. Faith will become sight. And hope will become reality, but love will remain unchanged. The Bible tells us that God is love, and love will still be the governing principle that controls all that God's people are to be and to do. As Paul says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And Christian maturity is largely about coming to the point where we see and understand clearly that at the end of the day, it's not about our gifts. It's not about our abilities. It's not about us at all. It's about loving God and loving others. And it means being able to view life through the lens, uh, to view life and our spiritual gifts through the lens of love. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Eugene Peterson, in his devotional book, Praying with Jesus, comments on these verses. Listen to what he writes. A most surprising identification card. Not if we hold the right doctrine. Not if we have membership in the right church. Not if we work hard for justice. Not if we're knowledgeable in the scripture. Not if we diligently and successfully use our talents. The only Christ-authorized mark of discipleship is love for one another. Is this the way others recognize you? Why is this so important? Well, here's the essence of it. When we love one another, we reveal to others the God who is love. The Bible tells us repeatedly about God's love for his people. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God reaching out to his people Israel in love. God's ultimate expression of love came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. David Rensberger, in an article titled simply, God is Love, takes a look at Jesus' incarnation as evidenced in 1 John and writes, How could it be known that God is love? By considering the loving, unselfish act of God in sending Jesus to be flesh as we are, to share in our mortal doom and bear our mortal sins. The elder, meaning John, shows that God is love by asserting that in Jesus, God does love. The human life and especially the human death of Jesus made God known to us as love. And Jesus, the ultimate expression of God's love, in his teachings exhorts his followers to love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Basically, Jesus defines love as the essential characteristic of those who would follow him. Rensberger says, each day and hour, God seeks to be known to the world as love. Each moment comes to us with an offer to join the moment, to offer ourselves to the God who appears in it, to love God, to be loved by God, and to love one another in the most concrete ways possible until God is known to us, in us, and through us as love. The truest mark of Christian discipleship is love. The love we have for one another is a reflection of God's love. Only when love permeates our common life in the church will our spiritual gifts and all other actions find their rightful place and achieve their God-given purposes in our lives. Is your life an example of God's love? Will the people around you remember you for how you showed them God's love? For how you invested in their lives with God's love? Do your words and actions reflect His love to and for others? Well, let's, let's get practical now. We can talk endlessly about love, but what does it look like? There are many ways to express love to the people around you. Let me just share with you five ways that you can show love to others. First of all, show love through words. For those you're especially close to, come right out and say it. I love you. The people who are closest to you know if you do or don't say the words, I love you, even if they deny the importance of saying it. 
The story goes, and you may have heard it, that Ole and Olga lived on a farm in Iowa. Olga was starved for affection. Ole never showed her any signs of love, and, and Olga yearned to feel appreciated. She finally got desperate enough that, that she came right out and she asked, Ole, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? And Ole stoically responded, Olga, when we were married, I told you that I loved you, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. It's not enough, is it? The absence of love is just as powerful as its presence. The simple act of saying the words, I love you, it goes a long way to communicate love to those to whom we're closest. Sending a card to someone is another way to show love through words. The words, I love you, can take hold even if you're not there to say it in person. And even if you're not comfortable telling another person you love them, a simple note of encouragement or a card letting them know that you're thinking about them, praying for them, these are wonderful expressions of love. Show love through words. Secondly, show love through touch. Now, Given the culture in which we live, this needs to be clarified a bit. There's appropriate touch and there's inappropriate touch. Proceed with caution. Inappropriate touch is not usually done in love, but for other self-gratifying reasons, and it can cause great damage. Appropriate touch, however, can be healing and redemptive. For example, a gentle hug given appropriately can communicate massive amounts of love, especially to those who have been plagued by loneliness. You know someone who's lonely? If it's appropriate, they might appreciate a hug. A woman named Louise Hobson wrote a brief article entitled Hugging. It goes like this. Hugging is healthy. It helps our body's immune system. It keeps you healthier. It cures depression. It reduces stress. It induces sleep. It is invigorating. It is rejuvenating. It has no unpleasant side effects. Hugging is practically perfect. There are no movable parts, no batteries to wear out, no periodic checkups, low energy consumption, high energy yield, inflation-proof, non-fattening, no monthly payments, no insurance requirements, theft-proof, non-taxable, non-polluting, and of course, fully returnable. Not a hugger? Some people just simply aren't aren't huggers, and that's okay. How about a simple touch on the arm or shoulder or maybe a pat on the back? Jesus often conveyed love through touch, even when healing those who hadn't been touched for years. Think of all the lepers that Jesus healed. Think about what his touch must have meant to them. Physical touch is important for all of us, You're kidding yourself if you don't believe so. So be discerning and wise in the process, but don't be afraid to show someone love through touch. Show love through kindness. Tokens of love or or small deeds of kindness can demonstrate love. Many of you are very good at this already. You take meals to those who are sick or, or you lend a helping hand when someone is moving. You do little things, small acts of kindness that convey love. Mary and I have been blessed on a number of occasions by by many of you through acts of kindness like this. Keep doing those kinds of things. Small acts of kindness are a great way to demonstrate love for one another. 
Take note of the interests or perhaps the chores of those around you and bring joy into their lives. Surprise someone with a gift or do something nice for someone. Love is kind and small acts of kindness go a long way in communicating love to one another. Show love through presence. Your presence with another person can be a profound way to demonstrate love to them. Listen to these words from Mother Teresa. There is much suffering in the world, very much. All the material suffering is suffering from hunger, suffering from homelessness, from all kinds of disease. But I still think that the greatest suffering is being lonely, feeling unloved, just having no one. I've come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted that is the worst disease that any human being can ever experience. When we think of Mother Teresa, we think of India and and its outcasts. But could it be that there are lonely, hurting people right here among us in our community? People who are silently crying out for someone to love them? The very act of being present with a person, just sitting with them for a while, Being available is an incredible act of love. This is true when people are in a crisis, too. When a person is anxiously waiting uh, for a loved one to come through surgery or, or grieving the loss of someone close to them. Or maybe they've just found out that a loved one has cancer or has lost a job or uh, something to that effect. Our presence with them can make an enormous difference. They're not looking for advice or platitudes. Most often in situations like these, our presence speaks louder than words ever could. Show love through presence. I want to apply this at home, too. We need to spend time with our spouses and with our children. Someone once said, trouble with a marriage often starts when a man spends so much time earning his salt that he forgets his sugar. Wives, this goes both ways. And what about our kids? The story goes that a man came home from work late one night, tired and irritated, to find his five-year-old son waiting for him at the door. Daddy, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, what is it, replied the man. Daddy, how much money do you make in an hour? Irritated, the father asked, well, well, what makes you ask such a thing? I just want to know. Please tell me, how much do you make in an hour? Well, if you have to know, I make $20 an hour. Oh, the little boy replied, his head bowed. And and looking up, he said, Daddy, can I borrow $10? And the father was angry. And he said, if the only reason that you wanted to know how much money I make was so that you can borrow the money to, to buy some silly toy, march yourself right up to your bedroom and go to bed. Think about why you're being so selfish. I mean, I work long, hard hours every day, and I don't have time for such childish games. The little boy quietly went to his room, and he shut the door. And and the man sat down, and after a while, started to think about the little boy's questioning. and, And he began to think that maybe he had been just a little too hard on his son. Maybe there was something that he really needed to buy with that $10, and he really didn't ask for money very often. So the man went to the door of the little boy's room, and... And he opened the door. Are you asleep, son? No, Daddy, I'm awake. I've been thinking, maybe I was a bit hard on you earlier, the man said. It's been a long day, and I took out my frustration on you. Here's the $10 that you asked for. 
And the little boy sat straight up, just beaming. Oh, thank you, Daddy, he yelled. And then he reached under his pillow and he, and he pulled out some more crumpled up bills. Well, when the man saw that his son already had all this money, he started to get angry again. And the little boy slowly counted out his money and then, and then looked up at the man. And, and, and the dad said, why did you want more money if you already had some? Because I didn't have enough, but now I do, said the little boy. Daddy, I have $20 now. Can I buy an hour of your time? How are we doing with this at home? How are we doing with this in our community? There are plenty of people right here in our community who desperately need to know that someone loves them. Jesus went and spent time with those in Israel who were outcasts. Those who no one else would give the time of day. He was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. In a society that expressed its disapproval by avoiding people, Jesus showed those people that God loved them, making it a point to spend time with them. Show love through presence. The value of this demonstration of love can't be overstated. Show love through sacrifice. Demonstrating love to others often means putting their needs and their concerns ahead of your own. This is choosing selflessness instead of selfishness. I'm sure that the Good Samaritan had somewhere to be, something to do. But he put his own agenda on the back burner in order to demonstrate love to a fellow traveler who had been wounded. It's significant for us, by the way, that the fellow traveler was someone who had been considered by most to be his enemy. The good Samaritan sacrificed his time, his money, maybe even his pride to love his neighbor. Many times for you and I, showing love to others could mean allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced in some way or another. Maybe it means we'll be late for work, or maybe it means we'll, we'll have to skip an activity we were really looking forward to being a part of. Love is patient, kind, and not easily angered. Being patient often involves sacrifice. Sacrifice of my time, my agenda, my rights. Showing love through sacrifice isn't usually fun, but it surely communicates love. Jesus demonstrated incredible love to us, undeserving though we are, enemies though we were, through the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. Probably not too many of us will be called to sacrifice our lives for our love for God, although it could happen. But all of us are called to love through sacrifice. Show love through words, through touch through kindness, through presence, through sacrifice. Legend has it that a missionary lost at sea happened to wash up out of the sea on the edge of a remote native village. And half dead from starvation, exposure, and seawater, he was, he was found by the people of the village, and they nursed him back to health. Well, not having a way to get home, he lived among these people for 20 years. And during the whole time he was there, he confessed no faith, he preached no sermons, he neither read nor recited scripture aloud. 
He made no personal faith claim. But when people were sick, he went to be with them, sitting long into the night. When people were hungry, he gave them food. When people were lonely, he was a source of company. He always stood up for those who had been wronged, and he defended the weak and the helpless. He taught their children, and he always lent a hand where it was needed. After 20 years had passed, some other missionaries came from the sea to the village and began talking about a man called Jesus. And after hearing of Jesus, the natives insisted that he had lived among them for the past 20 years. Come, we will introduce you to this man Jesus that you've been speaking about. And the missionaries were led to a hut where they, where they found their long-lost fellow missionary whom they had thought was dead. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Francis Schaeffer said, If we do not show love to one another, the world has a right to question whether Christianity is true. Who do you need to love? What do you need to do to show that love? Your love can make a real difference in someone's life. The gifts of the Spirit are great. They are necessary. But when Christ comes, they will cease. They will be stilled. They will pass away. What we do in love for Christ and in love for one another is what is ultimately important and what will ultimately last. Love is the most excellent way. It makes our gifts profitable. It makes our relationships beautiful. And it makes our contributions eternal. To follow and hunger after the Lord Jesus Christ, to become a mature Christian, means being able to view life and our spiritual gifts through the lens of love. Love is the most excellent way. Follow the way of love. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, you have showed us how to love you. You have commanded us to love. You are in us and with us to love. Develop in us, I pray, a deep, consistent, and mature love for you and for others. And we'll give you thanks. Amen.